Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Good evening everyone. Good evening everyone. Amen. Is God your inheritance? Amen. Um, the series is opening up a new realm of love for the Lord that I never thought possible. Um, it's happening in my worship. It's happening in my prayer. It's happening when I read the scriptures, when I listen to music, when I watch a video about something divine. Spirit is so sensitive to the Lord. And really, this has softened my, softened my own heart um, for intimacy. Everyone say intimacy. really want to encourage you. Um, this is going to bring a tremendous amount of rest in your spirit if you truly um, plug into all that it represents, the issue of the firstborn. Um, today I'm going to deal with the inheritance of the primogeniture, as your topic suggests. And uh, our focus will be, it's a very broad topic, inheritance of the primo or the primogeniture. And our focus will be is of a sonship identity and is of the father. Amen. We're going to talk a little bit about the birthright, but the birthright concept will be uh, fully explored in a later session. Amen. And so I really want to encourage you as, as we begin tonight to open up your hearts because much of what we have said up to this point was foundational to really understanding the reality of the firstborn sonship principle. And while this session is also fundamental, uh, for much will be built here upon, um, yet now we are starting to plug into the reality of the firstborn sonship identity and, and reality. And like I said, I want to encourage you, this is really going to fuel, fuel your, your sense of God, fuel your sense of proximity to Him. It's going to bring about a rest, a knowledge that He is your Father, uh, through every circumstance, and you're going to find yourself um, really being confident in who you are, and you cannot help but, you know, like when we worship like this, I cannot help but be expressive, be emotive, because He deserves everything. Whether it's done in song, whether it's an expression of thanksgiving, He's worthy of it all. When you understand what He has brought me into, you can only respond with deep gratitude, and expression. It's like the leper that came back with a loud voice, glorified God, giving him thanks at what he saw. Ten were healed when one saw. Um, ten were cleansed when one saw um, that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice, glorified God, giving him thanks. And I really feel if you truly listen and you respond with the spirit, not with the intellect, not with the intellect of the soul. Heighten your spirit. I taught you the whole of last year. I don't know, six or seven sessions were entitled, Hear with your spirit. How do you hear? Hear with your, with your spirit. Excuse me. Don't let this entice you. Put it behind me. Uh, hear with your spirit. 
and not with the intellect of the soul. Because spiritual words must be received with spiritual technology. The words I speak, they are spirit. So if something is spirit coming to you, the only way to receive it is from your, your spirit uh, for it to make impact and to make full sense. So the topic for tonight, and we'll try and finish this tonight, is the inheritance of the primogeniture. And we'll talk about birthright as well. Everyone say birthright. Now, you cannot talk about the primogeniture or firstborn sonship without referencing the right of birth. So, the male that is born first has a specific, has specific rights attendant with the fact that he burst the womb first. That he came out first. Okay? Uh, we call it the birthright. By virtue of his standing in the family, the fact that he was first born, he is accorded specific privilege, status, and responsibility. Um, headship is given to him in the absence of his father. So upon the death of his father, he rises over the family to assume a headship position over other siblings. That headship is not for um, domination or manipulation or to be autocratic or to rule with an iron fist and to entrench his own will. And we have some indications of that in Scripture where certain firstborns did do that and God literally disqualified them. Right? Case in point is Jehoram in Second Chronicles 21. But the idea was that he would rise to headship in the family to not only take care of the family, his other siblings, but to also ensure that, this is very important that you hear this carefully, to ensure that the purposes of God that were vested in his father be maintained and perpetuated in his time. Whatever the firstborn is to do in his headship over his family, is not to lose the sense of destiny or impartation, prophetic promise or destiny that his father received, now basically transferred to him, and which he is to transfer to his firstborn. And so it's not a matter of that he's dead. I come, to, it's my time to rise and shine. This position was a position of serious responsibility. Okay? I'm going to explain that more when we do a whole segment on firstborn responsibility and functionality. For now, what we want to focus on is this. Everyone say inheritance. The fact that he was born first qualified him for an inheritance that was vastly unique to him and vastly different from other siblings. Everybody got something of the father upon the death of the father. But the firstborn received a double portion of his father's estate. That simply means no other sibling, when the father's wealth or estate was divided, no others, no others, he would get twice more than everybody else. Right? So it came it came, it brought to him lots of wealth, welfare, and prosperity. But he is to understand that.
that, that wealth and prosperity was not primarily for self-indulgence. It was to take care of family business. In fact, Jewish culture suggests that if any other sibling had financial trouble, that the primogeniture, the firstborn, he would rise up and he would use his father's estate to help his siblings. So it was always for that function. I hope you can see the contemporary spiritual application. Right? If, you, if we're going to come to this position of firstborn, it's no, it is no trouble for a firstborn son to bail his brother out. It's no big deal to inconvenience himself in order to ensure the well-being and the welfare of his, of his brother. Now, I've introduced this term. It's not too commonly known, but um, it's, it's used in, in our circles. Everyone say primogeniture. That's how it's pronounced. Some people pronounce it primogeniture, whichever you prefer. But basically, the, as I have stated in your notes, the term primogeniture refers to the state of being the firstborn or the eldest son of the children of the same parents. Same parents. And as such, he has access to an exclusive right of inheritance. Again, he has access to an exclusive right of inheritance. We call it the birthright. So the firstborn son has a birthright or the right of the firstborn or the right of birth and birthright basically it alludes to privileges expectations of the primogeniture the primogeniture the firstborn son had the birthright which afforded him specific status and privilege the birthright also demanded of him to conduct himself according to the nature and profile Attendant with the firstborn son. So everyone say profile. So if, if you say, I'm the primogeniture, I'm the firstborn, I'm the eldest here. What you are saying is, I have then, attendant with my identity, I willingly subscribe to a profile of behavior and responsibility that everyone here expects of me. Okay? So it wasn't simply a, a position of glamour, um, or that people would, uh, would, 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 would uh, pursue after. The firstborn son knew what weighted responsibility this position laid upon him. Okay? So it was, an, it was an awesome function, a position of tremendous weight and responsibility. In most ancient cultures and in still some contemporary cultures today, it was possibly the most strongest in Jewish or Hebraic culture, as we know from the scriptures. Okay? So he had very, very specific responsibilities. He was to ensure the integrity, purity, perpetuation of the divine purpose in his generation and transfer the same to the generations coming after him. The firstborn position was both a position of honor, tremendous honor and dignity was attendant with this. It was also a position of great accountability. Everyone say honor. honor. Say accountability. accountability. Say privilege. privilege. 
but say responsibility. You see, there are two things here. Many people want the, the, the status and the privilege, the name and the identity. But when it comes to the accountability and the responsibility, many people want the title, but they don't want the function. Okay? So it's important that we bear these two things in mind consistently throughout the series. Let me tell you, attendant with this is great blessing. Attendant with this is great favor. Attendant with this, you're going to find a realm of, of, of walking in the favor of the Lord that you've never known before. And yes, you will be blessed personally and benefit from it privately. But always bear in mind the thing that is given to you as your inheritance is not primarily blessed or, or designed for your blessing. While you will be blessed, it's designed for you to steward to bless others. Right? So, you have to understand your father very well if you're going to represent him in his absence over the family affair. Right? Jesus is the classic firstborn son. The supreme example that modeled all of these things for us um, in absolute perfection. Um, and so, the firstborn son, um, I will later in two sessions from now talk about the Greek and Hebrew words and what they really mean. One meaning is he who breaks or bursts forth the womb of his mother. So the mother did not bear children. So the firstborn, by definition, broke open the, the womb. And he's accorded rights, privileges, and a birthright. Now in your notes, I, 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 I've given you in very broad terms what his birthright would include. I simply want to list them here, but we will deal with each one in, in great detail in subsequent sessions. But just for your understanding, if you in Jewish culture were born first, if you were the primogeniture, you'd come, these would be both the expectations laid upon you, the privileges accorded to you, levels of responsibility and accountability that um, was expected of you. Number one there, you would receive a fatherly or patriarchal blessing invoked upon you through a prophetic verbal utterance. Do you recall Jacob blessing all of his uh, sons, right? And he prophesies over them. Do you recall Jacob himself being blessed by his father, Isaac, right? When he received the right of birth, um, when he tricked his brother Esau, out of the right of the primogeniture, remember? Right? So it, it involved something, listen carefully. Everyone say prophetic utterance. Say the, the invocation of a blessing. So if I'm the father and my firstborn comes, if, if the firstborn knew, I am, I am not just privy to, I have a privilege of hearing prophetic utterance from my father and the transfer, the transmittance of a blessing, right? That's a tremendous privilege he had. Secondly, a double portion of the father's estate. He received twice as much as any other son. He also received headship in that he inherited judicial authority of his father and he had to also ensure the welfare of the other siblings, Fourthly, in some instances, he succeeded 
to the official dignities and the rights of his father. So, for example, all kings who were kings, their firstborns would be the next king. High priests who were high priests, their firstborns would naturally accede to the high priesthood. So there was this automatic walking into any official um, position of, of, of dignity, official function in the nation. With it came tremendous ability to make decisions. Fifthly, the power of representation. This is a powerful principle which we will take a long time to discuss. Everyone say the power of representation. So if you represent another, listen carefully, if I'm representing somebody or a whole group of other people, when I stand and, and speak before another, the other that beholds me doesn't see me. It sees everyone that I represent. So I have the power of representation of a whole group of people. Right? A very, very powerful principle. Now, the power of representation in that, listen carefully, in his singularity, he inherently embraced a corporeity. As an individual, he has the capacity to even sometimes, I'll show you in scripture when we do it, represent an entire generation. Listen carefully. Dependent on his position, God will pass judgment or blessing on everybody else related to him. It's a very powerful position either for great blessing or for great cursing. Okay? So tell your neighbor, you have the power of representation. Um, last night I was praying for my own family, for Matthew and all, mentioning the children by name, and bringing them before the Lord. And um, this, this thought was in my mind consistently. And I'm saying, Lord, look at me. See my hands. Deal with them. Hmm? Power of? representation. I stand before you, not as Randolph Barnwell. I stand before you as the household of the Barnwells. So I come to make my, my petitions and my prayers. Amen? It's a very powerful thing. Do you know when God sees me, He sees this whole church? I have the power of representation as the leader of this congregation, the Angelos. And there are times when I pray, I pray, Lord, I pray in that manner. I pray not... When you look at me, don't see me as me. See me for what I represent and for who I represent. Amen? And so I really want to encourage you. Um, God chose, for example, listen, God chose Israel as his firstborn. He said to Pharaoh, let Israel, my firstborn, go. Whole nation, plural, whole nation, many people. One singular term, firstborn. Singular term ascribed to a whole corporate group of people. God said to Israel, all your firstborn males of both humans and animals will be given to me, will be dedicated to me. Israel, as a nation, is God's firstborn. The firstborn males were to be given to the Lord. Uh, because of the emotional content and sacrifice involved in that process, imagine every family giving their firstborn in the service of God. God changed the law and said, instead of that, um, 
the Levites, the whole tribe, will be a firstborn representation unto me. So the Levites became the firstborn given, be given to God. The point being this. When God sees the Levites, He doesn't see the tribe. When God sees the Levites, He sees the entire nation of Israel. The Levites have the power of representation. The high priest specifically within the Levitical clan had the power of representation before God of the entire nation. Amen. Then also the, the birthright involved the power uh, or, or functions relative to the priesthood. And these are evidenced in the symbolic application of firstborn, which we will cover in time to come. Amen. Now, I want to get straight into tonight's topic. Tonight's topic is that the primogeniture has an inheritance, the right of firstborn. If we are firstborn sons in Christ Jesus, what exactly is our inheritance? What are we heirs of? What do we receive if we are in the Father's will? What is the estate that we come into? What is the blessing? Now, the Greek word for heir, the bottom is kleronomos. It's made up of two words, kleros, which means lot, and nemo, which means to hold in one's power and to distribute. Okay? Now, please pay attention here. So, Kleronomos, kleros means lot or portion, and nemo, listen, means to hold into one's power and to dispense or distribute. So, the firstborn received a lot or a portion of the father's estate from the father. It was given to him by the father. The father distributed the inheritance and he receives it. He himself is the recipient of great blessing and he is the beneficiary of something dispensed to him. Please hear where I'm going. He is the recipient of something dispensed to him. He has an inheritance. But this Greek word, kleronomos, has vested in it inherently the very idea of distribution and dispersing or dispensing or parceling out. So it tells us that what is given is to be managed and stewarded for the benefit of others outside of himself. Right? Inherent within this word is the idea of I am simply a custodian, a manager, a steward of tremendous power, privilege, grace, favor, um, function, responsibility, and God has given me a sphere of influence, and I am to parcel it out. In fact, everyone say parcel out. Parceling out is a very good term. It's like distribution, parceling out, dispensing, dividing, if you would. I like the term parceling out because it literally implies the preparation of some specific deposit and the giving to somebody else unique to their need, specifically designed for, to cater for their welfare. Okay? Still want to be the firstborn son? Asking you, still want to be the firstborn son? Amen. I really want to encourage you, start to practice this. Uh, start to be the giver 
of resource. And let me challenge you. Even in the state that you are in financially, even in the state of need that you are, start practicing this idea that even in small ways, I'm going to learn how to parcel things out and to bless others. Amen? I'm telling you, start to practice it. There is great blessing in store for you. Now, in the Bible, what I've done is, I try to do a cursory overview of what our inheritance really is. And I've come up with the following. I didn't find this in any book. I just did my own cursory um, sort of panoramic overview of the word heir, inheritance, inherited in the Old and New Testaments. So I've come up with this list. Let me list it and then we'll discuss it. The scriptures highlight the following as part of our inheritance in Christ. We are heirs of a sonship identity. We are heirs of God the Father. We are heirs of salvation. We are heirs of eternal life. We are heirs of immortality. We are heirs of the kingdom of God. We are heirs of the Abrahamic promise. We are heirs of the blessing. We are heirs of the world. We are heirs of the earth. We are heirs of the nations. And the scripture says, we are heirs of all things. Now just that list should really blow your mind. To think of the things that God has given into my care to manage on his behalf. I want to say it again. Let me run through it. Repeat after me. Sonship identity. God the Father. Salvation. Eternal life. Immortality. The kingdom of God. The Abrahamic promise. Blessing. The world. The earth. Nations. And all things. Have been given to you. Firstborn sons in Christ. And when you think of the, the vastness of the areas of responsibility given into our hands, it should cajole us to upgrade our thinking, our behavior, our, our levels of obedience, our degrees of purity for the things that God is calling us to steward on His behalf. Now, for the sake of time, I don't know how much we're going to do tonight. It's a list of 12 aspects there. But the first two are fundamental. Because the first two are really what you have. And everything else that follows after that is simply an expression of your attainment of the first two. So I'm going to discuss in great detail the first two. And our next session, we'll do the rest, the next ten. Amen? The first two are this. What am I an heir of? Number one, I'm an heir of a sonship identity and name in God, in Christ Jesus. Secondly, I'm an heir of God the Father. Let's discuss these two ideas. Romans chapter 8 verse 16 and 17 says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are what? We are children of God, and if children is also. So if I'm a son or a child of God, I'm an heir of God, and I'm a fellow heir with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, so that we might also be, be glorified with Him. 
Now, remember I said this to you. I'm God's son. God the Father loves me. And he wants to give me an inheritance or blessing. He has left something for me in his will. The word of the Lord. I am not just another son of his among many to whom he's going to give some privilege. I'm actually a son, a kin, and in the same degree as his firstborn son, Christ Jesus. I taught you last session, he is not ashamed to call me brother. And brother, Adelphos, suggests those that have issued forth from the same womb, in the same character, right, and likeness of their father who gave birth to them. He is not ashamed to call me brother. He's not simply my Lord and Savior. He's my elder brother. And brothers, by definition, I just suggested, are those that come forth from the same womb, have the same character. He, please hear me, he is not ashamed to call Randolph Barnwell, Christ, the Christological Christ, the pre-existent one who formed everything, including me. Then, of all of the aspects of his creation, comes alongside me and says, Randolph Bertie Barnwell, you are, yes, by virtue of the, the price I prayed for you on the cross, you've accepted me as Lord and Savior, you're now God's son, legally. But you're not just a son, as in another ordinary son of God's. I now bring you up into the same status as I enjoy, as, as God's son. You please, I'm repeating this because I feel we haven't got it yet. You know it by information. I can repeat this next week and you can say, we've heard that before, but has it settled as a revelation? Has it blown your mind? Have the lights come on? Now your praying is different. So you're not praying beggarly prayers. You're praying prayers of one who has certain access, privilege, and rights in God. You're not praying arrogantly. You're praying informatively. Amen? And so you're coming in and you're asserting confidence in confidence. The, the, the plenitude is the word I'm looking for. The plenitude of your father. Right? The, the vast kindness of, of your father. That's why I'm so grateful for the, the plan of salvation. Plan of redemption. Right? Redeemed, oh, our love to proclaim it. We all that, that old hymn, redeemed. And I sing that I'm redeemed. I'm not just saved from hell to go to heaven. I'm redeemed. It, redemption, he took me from, uh, and the Bible in Paul's language says, we who were not a people. We were objects of God's wrath. They have now become the objects of his mercy. He took me, he saved me. And he just, just saved me from, a uh, 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 torrid life on the earth. He's given me status, privilege. That's why I want to encourage you. Think differently. Think like firstborn. How dare, dare you take risks like firstborn? I wasn't supposed to go to Santon this week. Everything in my world said, you can't afford it, shouldn't be going there. But guess what? I heard, and Bolton and I, Concurring our spirits, I needed to be there this week. And guess what? As I listen, here's a testimony, quick, as I took the decision, cell phone phoned and says, What are you doing? I'm leaving in the next hour. Can you be in Marisburg here? Yeah, next hour. 
and Julian and, and Renee witness. It was chaotic in the office. I was busy with so many things. And a set of circumstances, the moment I agreed with God's will, a set of circumstances ordered themselves. Listen carefully. In such a powerful way, I was able to even pay for all my brother's accommodation at the place we slept. I'm saying, listen carefully. A testimony. The moment you accede to your father's will for your life, in the face of conditions and circumstances that tell you limit, limit, roadblock, so far, no further, your firstborn identity rises up. And guess what? Listen carefully to me. While riding up, the four of us in the car, while riding up um, to Santa, I, a burden within me, I said, God, I want to start to express my firstborn sonship. I said, I want to pay. I want to take care of my siblings. I want to pay for my brothers. We didn't know where we were sleeping. We arranged accommodation on the way. That's how spontaneous this trip was. It was just a, a last-minute decision. Right? And, you know, the set, the other testimonies, not for the tape, things that happened while we were there, things that occurred on the way back, I can only conclude we were in the center of God's will. But if we had counted the cost and looked at, at things, any carnal, natural-minded Christian would have said, we're doing the maths, we're looking at the circumstances, everything says, no way, Jose. Right? And I want, I want to, I'm saying all of that. Start to think like firstborn. You're not a secondborn. There's, in the kingdom, there's even no middle son syndrome or middle child syndrome. You know middle child syndrome? The child feels like left out. <laughs> firstborn and lastborn gets all the attention. They're in the middle stuck somewhere. And, you know, the more I'm thinking that God is my Father, He will take care of me in every circumstance. The more we are seeing uh, breakthroughs in uncanny ways. Amen? Breakthroughs in uncanny ways. You know what the Lord has done with me recently? He's taken my eye off tithes and first fruits as the source of my sustenance. God is saying to me, don't look there. In effect, God will literally shut things down to force your attention to say, I am your resource. Right? Your, your salary is not your resource. Your people aren't your resource. God says, I am your resource. Amen? And I want to encourage for you, don't limit yourself based upon your paycheck. Don't limit yourself. God wants, I hear the Lord saying to all of us, I am your father. I will take care of you in every circumstance. Just trust me every single leg of the way and the Lord will provide because you are firstborn. And let me just say this, brethren. Everyone say thinking. This must simply become... A th That's why the mind is the biggest hindrance to spiritual development. That's why transformation only happens as you meditate. I want to encourage you to meditate on these things. If, 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 if I were you, I would say go overboard. Read this note ten times using 10 different color pens if you have to, to make markings. Listen to the tape 10 times. The, the, the stuff I've listened of Thamos. Um, when we arrived in Santon, we at supper at Thamos' um, new house as we, as we arrived there, um, a house that he's renting in the interim. And um, he jokingly said to us, hey, you guys, you come up all the way from Durban to hear the same old sermons. You know what I'm going to be talking about tomorrow. And... Um, I spontaneously said, it's like the manna that fell every day while the children of Israel journeyed. 
Scripture says it was manna. Same manna as yesterday, but the Bible says it was fresh. Everyone say fresh. Right? That's amazing. We, all four of us sat there. We all concurred. We've heard Thalmo say all of these things. I've heard it about that teaching about ten times. But guess what? There are certain things the Lord cemented in my spirit while listening. And I listened with, with eager expectation. Sometimes I listen even knowing the thought and where he's leading. Yet I don't just presuppose that. I listen as though it's, it's a new word. Right? And God each time cements it. So I want to encourage you. Listen as though you're hearing this for the first time. Amen? And God will rehearse things to consolidate things within the landscape of your spirit. Amen? Now, Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. So, I'm an heir of God and I'm a fellow heir with Christ Jesus. Let's read Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 to 6. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, in whom he appointed, whom he appointed heir of all things. That's a key phrase right there. What is the Son and heir of? Everyone say all things. I'll discuss that later in next week. We are heir of all things. So the Son is an heir of all things, through whom He also made the world. And He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the word of His power. When He had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high having become as much better than angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Question, look at me. Who of you here will be impressed by an angel if he appears in our midst? Let's say massive towering, as big as a skyscraper, massive and full of light, flaming. I'm sure we'll all be aghast, astonished. Wow, check this angel. Now the Bible says that the Son has a name better than them. As glorious and majestic as they are, let me tell you, in God's eye, you are far more glorious. You are far more impressive. In fact, you outrank any angel in terms of your functionality, your representation, and your identity in the Spirit. Now it says here, listen carefully. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. When again he brings the firstborn into the world, He says, and let all the angels of God worship Him. Now that's a marvelous, marvelous truth. Listen carefully. To no angelic being did God ever say to any angel, You are my son. He has only said it to us 
who've accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. Angels don't know sonship. Angels don't know divine nature, character, representation, as we do. We were created in the image and the likeness of God, not they. And the word name always alludes to an identity, an essence, a nature, and an authority. So God says, to no other angel that I divest to all that I represent, except to my sons, my, my, my representatives, my, my vicars. You are God's vicars, God's deputies. You vicariously represent God. You know, a vicar is like a deputy, one that is a subordinate to the main guy. You are God's vicars, you are God's viceroys, and you vicariously represent your father. It's an amazing thing. Angels don't know Sancho, but we do. And God has given, the Bible says, listen carefully, God has given, read verse 4 again, He has inherited the Son, and remember two sessions ago I taught you, whatever Jesus has, we have. As He is, so are we. Right? All that He has entered into, He desires to bring us into. All that He is, He desires of us. I, I shared on Facebook that the Son of Man became the Son of, the Son of God, rather, became the Son of Man, so that sons of men could become the sons of God. The Bible says, in all points, He was a man, and tempted as a man, yet without sin. He who was divine became human and was subject to every human experience as we are, yet without sin. So God fully experienced humanity. His quest now is for humanity to fully experience divinity. He came to offload himself on the planet to experience fully everything humans would ever possibly experience. With this in mind, to draw every human into all that he represents. Okay? So the Son of Man became, a, the Son of God became a Son of Man, so that sons of men could become sons of God. We are in Christ, but he's also in us. It's a dual thing here. I'm in Christ. If any man being in Christ, he is a new creation. But Galatians 4.19 says, Paul says, I travail in birth until Christ be what? Formed in, formed in, in you. Okay? And so, he became man so that you could become like him, God. Okay? And he wants to draw you into this. Now, please hear me. The father has given the firstborn son a more excellent name than angels. Far superior and above them is the name son. On the next page, the word excellent is the word diaphoros, which means, in the Greek, surpassing, different, better, superior. Amen? I tell your neighbor you're looking at someone who is better, superior than an angel. I declare over all of you, you have a, son, a name called son. That is far 
It's excellent. It's superior, better, vastly different to any angelic being. Hmm? And the Bible says this. Angels are designed to minister to me who has become an heir. Talking about our inheritance. Angels are designed to minister to me who has become an heir of salvation. Amen? So they are my servants. Right? If the, if, if the devil is some fallen angelic being, then I even outrank him. Hey? Tell your neighbor, I outrank the devil and every demonic host. Yep. I will share with you later, there's tons of scriptures which suggest this. Firstborn ones, those who function in firstborn identity, have a supremacy about them. They are supreme. They have a, have a rank in the creative order. And I want to encourage you to start to express this. But now listen carefully. That is the Greek, diasporos, surpassing, better, superior. The Hebrew equivalent of this name is salis. And Kelly Vaughan has done an excellent job on explaining this. In Proverbs 20.20, where the writer of the book of Proverbs says, 22.20, I will declare to you of excellent things. The word there is alis, which literally means threefold things. Threefold things. Right? It means a third part, a triangle, thus implying threefold things. Everyone say three. three. Think about this. The Bible says, I have a name or an identity called son. It's superior to angels. My name, it's more excellent. Everyone say more excellent. So more excellent, I'm telling you, implies anything that has a threefold dimension to it. So when I say I am son, what you are saying in that son is a threefold component. And uh, Bullinger, in his book, Numbers in Scripture, says this about the number three or anything that is threefold. He says this. The number three has tremendous spiritual significance. Three indicates that which is solid, real, substantial, complete, and entire. Eh? Repeat after me. I am complete. I'm solid. I'm substantial. The book of Ephesians says, and we are complete in Him. Right? Um, that says, in my sonship constitution, I have an element that is sort of unbreakable. It's solid, it's substantial, it's real, it's inviolable, right? It's erodible. It cannot be eroded, cannot be diminished, cannot be taken away from me. And guess what this causes me to walk by when I walk in life? I walk with a sense of nothing really can destroy my identity. I'm solid, I'm real, I am substantial. I will not allow the devil or circumstances for me to doubt who I am in God. I have a solidity about me. I have a substantive um, thinking in my mentality as to my identity in Christ. I'm not easily dethroned, toppled, or moved away from this Understanding of who I represent in God. 
The devil might come and say, if you are the son, do this. If you are the son, do this. If you are the son. Remember he did that to Jesus in the, in the, in the wilderness? His, his attempt consistently is to, if he can erode identity, he can um, challenge or at least inhibit or uh, ultimately to abort your functionality or your attainment of destiny. Right? But now please affirm with me. Tell someone my identity is solid. My identity, is solid. My identity as son is substantial. My identity as son is real. Affirm it by faith. You, you're speaking. You're, so my identity as son is complete. My identity as firstborn is entire. Amen. Don't play with the sons of God. Don't play with us. We know who we are. Amen. I'm a son. Hey, this, this thought really, really humbles me. He took me from nothing and he made me an heir. Not just any heir. He joined here with his son. Sure. What an awesome privilege. That's why when, I'm, when you worship on Sunday corporately, your heart should be overwhelmed with sincere gratitude over what he has given to us and what, and what he represents. Far more than just being, having a real, solid, substantive, uh, immovable identity, threefold things also imply this. Now please just um, hear me here. I said this to you previously. When Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Peter ultimately said, you are the, what? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right? Now, Colossians says this in Colossians 2 verse 9. In Him, and the context there is talking about Christ, in Him, all the fullness of deity dwells in what form? In bodily form. Now, what does deity suggest? Deity references Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The word deity there in the Greek is a reference for Father, Son, and Spirit. Think, brethren, think with me. This says, the fullness of deity dwells in what construct? In what? In Son. Okay? In Son. So, let me just use the cell phone as an example. If this represents Christ, Right? If this represents Christ, um, now to do this. In any case, if this represents Christ, in this construct called Christ is deity. Deity will come to rest in no other principle or, or, or concept, if you would, or construct than the term Christ. Christ has the fullness of deity. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in Christ. Right? Please don't think now of Christ as the Son. I'm, I know I'm messing with your brains. Think of Christ as a principle. Everyone say Christ as a principle. So here is the principle, the term, the construct, the concept, Christ. Scripture says the fullness of deity comes to dwell in this concept called Christ. But here is the key. When that one is to come out of the unseen, heavenly, supernatural realm... 
and wants to come into a realm like the earth that's a seen realm. The only way it can come in, it has to come in human form. That's why Colossians says, bodily as the son of man. Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So yeah, the, the Christ, this Christ comes as a human on the planet. But in this human, listen carefully, Christ as the son of man has the fullness of Christ in him. He asks, Peter says, hey, what's your opinion about who am I as a man in the earth? Peter says, hey, by revelation, the father gives him revelation. Peter says, I see Christ, comma, and let me define how that principle of Christ will appear on the earth. Christ appears on the earth as a son. So in, listen carefully, in the principle of sonship in human form on the planet, Colossians 2.9 says, in bodily form, the son of man, as the son of man, as God's son, I have the capacity to in my humanity have the fullness of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit vested in me. But that Christ principle will only manifest if I come into the identity as son. So when Philip said to Jesus, show us the father. He says, oh, please, Philip. I can just say, say Jesus. Let me pray. Oh, please. Have I been so long with you? He says, have I been so long with you? You're still asking us, show us the way to the father. For if you have seen me, you have seen the. If now listen, who was Philip looking at? Stand here. He was looking at a human being, and that human is claiming, I have fullness of Father, I have fullness of Son, I have fullness of Spirit in my flesh, in my humanity. You too have it. Tell your neighbor, you have it. You have it, brethren. Behave like it. Think like it. Believe it. Elvis, you have it. In your workplace, you too can ask your, uh, Quentin, your colleagues, who do you say I am? What do you see? Right? I know I'm flesh and blood. I know I have freckles and frikies. I know I have character defects. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm striving towards it. And when I come into my world, guess what? I come as the Christ principle. Because I'm in the earth, that Christ principle can only be manifested in bodily form as Son. And in Christ is Father, Son, and Spirit. Two sessions from now, I'll show you how the Spirit works in this equation. Amen? So, the firstborn Son has got this awesome responsibility of showcasing the entirety of God. Now, this is what I mean. Everyone say threefold. In that name, son, you are not just have a threefold constitution as being real, solid, complete, and entire, but you also have the capacity to demonstrate the threefold nature of the one God. In you, there are three expressions, two. Father, son, and spirit. So when some individuals in the book of Acts speak, some comment and say, and the spirit spake. But the Spirit said nothing. Humans are talking. Human actions are equated to the, to the working of the Spirit. He who is joined to the Lord is 
one spirit with Him. Amen? So I really want to encourage you. Assert, appropriate, affirm your identity as the firstborn son. Right at the bottom, um, before point two. So then, the term son fully expresses all of Christ, which contains father, son, and spirit, a threefold yet one reality. The name son is attributed to Christ, but also to us. This is our identity. It is the greatest expression of inheritance, for it grants us an inheritance of and in God, our Father. Now listen to me very, very carefully. Your relationship or your identity as a son positions you for access into the next phase of your inheritance, which is you an heir of who? Come on, answer me. You an heir of who? Come on, I can't hear you. Oh, you're an heir of who? Work with me. You're an heir of God. As a son, you can't say I'm a son and have no father. So by your, by your declaration of sonship, you are saying, I have a, a father. I have an inheritance. And I have access to all that he is. Time has gone, I didn't cover much of what I thought we would cover tonight. Let me just mention one or two things. Go to page four. Basically on page three, I've just put numbers three from verses 11 to 12 that basically says that the Levites constitute the firstborn as a replacement for Israel, the nation. And listen carefully. We know that the Levites were the priesthood. And when, they were, when the land of Canaan was apportioned, this tribe received no physical land. Why? God himself says, he has it, Numbers 18, 20. The Lord said to Aaron, you shall give no inheritance in their land, nor any portion among them. Why? I am your portion, and I am your Inheritance. That's why songs like when we sing, Lord, you are. We sing that with understanding, knowing exactly what we're meaning. Right? David said, sing his praise with, sing his praise with understanding. That's why, let me say, um, the revelation that you're receiving now should radically alter your singing. The, the mood, the, the intensity, the strength, the conviction, the sincerity by which you, by which you sing. Amen? Now, is I am your portion and your inheritance among the sons of Israel. To the sons of Levi, behold, I have given them the tithe of all Israel for an inheritance. Indeed, in return for their service which they perform, the service of the tent of meeting. God instituted that all the tithes should be paid to Levi, because Levi were the functioning priesthood among the nation, representing the nation before God and representing God to the nation, Representation is always dual. When Levi stands before God, Levi represents the nation to God. When Levi stands before the nation, Levi represents God to the people. 
right? You have this dual responsibility. So God says, because they have no inheritance in land and estate, every other tribe must collect a tithe and give it to them for their work of service in the tent of meeting. What did God do? God said, because of, your, of the devotion which I expect of this tribe, um, I will institute an economic or financial system to ensure that they are sustained adequately so that they apply their minds to their task without undue financial distraction. Right? They should have no needs that ail and plague them to the point of distraction away from what they should be applying their, their minds to. It was God's order. Everyone say God's order. So tithes, first fruit, offerings, all these came to the Levites. Obviously, as we know, first fruits of the high priest who was from the tribe um, of Levi as well. Now, everyone say, God is my inheritance. This I want to stress with you, brethren. I know that our inheritance, and you will just, you'll see later, is going to bring with it tremendous wealth. I am thoroughly convinced of this. You will be prosperous once this revelation um, sinks in the realms of your spirit. And when you act accordingly, but primarily and foremost, we are not pursuing things. We are not pursuing wealth. We are not pursuing materialism. Our pursuit is for one thing only, is God the Father, God himself. And listen carefully. If Levi was the, uh, an example, a symbolic representation of everything firstborn stands for in the old covenant... We study Levi to extrapolate principles. And Levi literally had no land, but God said to him, Hey guys, don't worry. All the other guys got land, but you got me. Now if you got me, what more do you want? God says, I'll even institute policies and laws to ensure your sustenance. And let me just say this to you. Dr. Siggy is convinced the average Levite lived a life far superior to, in a material sense, the modern-day average pastor. If you compare Levites with modern-day pastors, the system that God regulated for them, literally they lived a far better life in a material sense, financial sense, than the modern average pastor today. God took care. In fact, reformers, I shared this with you in the financial series, Whenever that, whenever that was violated, what did God say? Malachi would rise up and say, why have you robbed God? Bring the tithes. Why? There was a, always a priority on the Levites must be taken care of. And let me just say this to you. I'm not saying this in, in discussing uh, tithes and offerings in reference to sustaining the modern day priesthood that works um, on a full-time basis in the house of the Lord like myself. I'm not saying that to give support to this. I'm drawing reference to a principle that if you in your world function Levitically in representation as a firstborn, God will cause systems around you to finance you, to ensure your well-being. Amen? And let me just say this. I am not so much after right now tweaking the system that God instituted scripturally for my financial welfare, I'm after simply one fact. I'm going to focus on, on, on maturing the representation of the Levitical firstborn principle in my life. And God will 
ensure that all things work together for the good to those that love God and are called according to His purpose. For those who foreknew He also predestined that they might be conformed to the image of His Son, that He would be firstborn in many brethren. You see, we love verse 28. We don't like verse 29. All things work together for good. Hallelujah. They work together, but they're only working together to the man who is allowing the firstborn son to be developed within him. You focus on one thing. That is why I, 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 I wrote several Facebook posts on one theme, I think or two weeks ago or so. Every day it was just one thing. The tension between being and doing. Sam Solon said this, we, we so pro- preoccupied with doing that we have little time to become. So preoccupied with doing, we have little time to become. Focus on who you are. And let me just say this, when the Christ in you forms as firstborn, He, show you later from the book of Colossians, everything in creation will reorientate itself to resource the purposes of God within you. Amen? Now, quickly, quickly, and now we, we time. Let's just read Psalm 16. Because I love it. It succinctly captures who your inheritance is. Psalm 16 is what we call a messianic psalm. Messianic of Christ the Messiah. David wrote it, but he was literally prophesying things uh, that would be applicable to Jesus the Son. So, similarly, whatever applies to Jesus applies to us. As he is, so are we. And literally, David's really talking to the Lord, but little does he know, because later on he says, you will not leave my soul in show, or suffer your Holy One to see corruption. The body, Jesus' body, in hell, or Hades, or Shoal, was not decayed, right? Did not suffer the natural processes of physical decay like dead bodies usually do, because after three days it was raised again, obviously a different form. So this whole psalm is prophetic of Christ. So Christ, David says of his God, but speaking representatively of Christ speaking to the Father. And if Christ is speaking to the Father, so are you. So you can put your name right there. And you say, this is my address to my God. Verse 5, let's say it. Let's say it together. One, two, three. The Lord is my portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, My heritage is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. What a statement of confidence. I love verse 6. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. Um, this morning, I completed the next study. And when I did it, it's about 12 pages long. Wow. And I, I basically, you know, as you study, you're praying, you're meditating, you're quoting, you're affirming things. This sense of, this verse hit me. I looked at everything. I'm saying, like if you pat myself, your, your heritage is beautiful to you. 
<laughs> when I look at all the things he has given to me, right? I can only say what David has said. My heritage is a beautiful one. Amen. When you think of all that is given to you, indeed your heritage is beautiful, is beautiful to you. But the key, verse 5, the Lord is my, is the portion of my inheritance. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance. Now, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5. We've just read Hebrews chapter 1. And verse 5 um, is sandwiched in between verse 2, sorry, after off verse 2 and verse 4 and then verse 6. In verse 2 and verse 4, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, The Son is an heir of all things. Everyone say, heir of all things. In verse 4, he says, We have a more excellent name, which is what? What's our excellent name? Everyone say, Son. Say, Firstborn. It's not just Son, it's Firstborn Son. of a vastly superior name to angels. It is solid as a threefold constitution. It is real, substantive, complete. It has the capacity to represent Father, Son, and Spirit. I have that superior name given to me. Listen carefully. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, I'm heir of all things, and I'm being given an identity. In fact, I'm only heir because of this identity. Right? And then, listen carefully, in verse 6, he says, he alludes to the firstborn reality. When he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. So between being an heir, he says, I'm an heir, I have this excellent name, right? And then he says, firstborn, before he goes to firstborn after declaring inheritance and the more excellent name, he says something in verse 5, which I feel is key to, to linking both concepts in one, right? And verse 5 is this. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son? Today I have begotten you. And again I will be a father to him, and he shall be a, a son to me. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. What does that suggest to you? The father comes and says, I will be your father, you will be your son. That is an intimacy of relationship. Intimacy of relationship. If there's anything I want you to be conscious of in the present season, is the intimate character of your relationship with your heavenly father. In fact, I feel the more you respond to this, the more you respond to him in intimacy, and intimacy, I wrote in the note, is nothing you can strive for. Intimacy is a state of mind. You can't, yes, you must pray and read your Bible, fast, meditate. All of these things help to, to, to maintain it. But really, those things help, but those things don't determine how intimate you're going to get with Him. Intimacy is basically a state of being. You just know that you know that you know whether you're watching a soccer match on, on TV whether you're driving your car to work, whether you're actively engaged in your work on a daily basis, you know I have a father that is with me all the time. 
you know I, wherever I am, I'm his firstborn son in the world, fully representing him. I've been given a more excellent name. I outrank angels. In fact, they are my servants. You know? And let me just say this. So, let's, let's draw these three things. You're an heir of the world. You've been given a more excellent name. Then he says, the allusion to intimacy. I'm your father. You are my son. Next verse. And I bring my firstborn son into the world. The firstborn sonship reality will only come to manifestation and to the fore. The more you focus on the character of intimacy of your relationship with your heavenly father. Every day when you pray, don't let God be such a foreign thought to you. So far removed from your world. Um, that there's no um, running conversation between you and him on a daily basis. Right? You can even pray while not in the activity of prayer. Your spirit is constantly communing with the, with the Lord. Okay? Constantly communing with the Lord. In the scripture, I found so many references that link the concepts of firstborn with father. Let me just close by reading two on page five. The one is Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 9b. It says of Ephraim. Now you know Ephraim was God's, was whose firstborn son? Joseph's firstborn son. Not so? Remember Ephraim and Manasseh? Ephraim was Joseph's firstborn. Ephraim represents a firstborn principle. So Jeremiah 31, 9b says, I will make them walk by the streams of waters on a straight path in which they will not stumble. And then he says, for I am a father and Ephraim is my firstborn. Notice, whenever the firstborn is referenced, God always stresses his nature as what? As father. I am a father and Ephraim is my firstborn. Look at Psalm 89. David is another classic example of a firstborn representation. Psalm 89 verse 20. I have found David. With my holy oil I have anointed him. With whom my hand will be established. My arm also will strengthen him. The enemy will not deceive him. Nor the son of wickedness afflict him. But I shall crush his adversaries before him. And strike those who hate him. My faithfulness and my loving kindness will be with him. And in my name, everyone say in my name. What is name? Everyone say father. In my identity, my name as father. His horn, his a horn speaks of strength and dignity, honor and nobility. This is what horn depicts. Strength, nobility, honor, dignity. In my nature, he will find dignity, nobility. His horn shall be exalted. I shall also set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. Here's the thing. He will cry to me, you are my what? You are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I shall make him my firstborn. Again, over and over. What are we seeing? Firstborn reality always emerges from an intimacy with father. He shall, he cried, David cries, you are my father. The father says, I make you my firstborn. The highest, again preeminence, the highest of all the kings of the earth. Aren't you glad that you are, he's your father? Who's your daddy? 
Aren't you glad he's your father? Hey, brethren, I really want to encourage you. You leave here with, with a renewed sense of, I have a father. So when we sing songs like, um, I have a father, he knows my name, or your favorite name is father. My cry, let me just say this, let me just say this. Everyone say groan. groan. Cry. cry. Israel groaned in Egypt. God heard their cry, sent Moses to deliver them. And I shared with you the exodus of Israel from Egypt with all the associated drama was about one thing and one thing only. The release of a firstborn identity. So long as there's a groan for fathering, God will extract the firstborn principle. And I really want to encourage us. Let us press into our father. Tell your neighbor you have a father. Tell someone he loves you. Just can I take five minutes, I want to wrap this up because I really want to proceed with this on Sunday morning with something else. Listen carefully. When God said to David, I make you my firstborn. The word make is the Greek, uh, well, is, is the term, everyone say Nathan. Hebrew, sorry, Nathan. Like Nathan, Nathan. Everyone say Nathan. Now, if I Nathan, this is it, watch. If I Nathan this cellular phone, it means... This is it. I take it and I place it. Consciously, strategically, the word is to place, to set, or to position. And I put it in a strategic place to fulfill a specific function. That's what it means. It means to constitute. I just love that idea. I have been constituted as God's son. I'm not just a fly by night, got here on the planet by some accident. No, I'm God's deliberate intention. God nothing me here on the planet. He set me deliberately, not just being born into the world, but He set me into a specific body of believers, into specific function in the world. Tell your neighbor, it's a set up. <laughs> it's a set up. You've been placed. You've been Nathan. So when God said to David, I make you my firstborn. Interestingly, listen carefully. It's exactly the same word where God said to Abram, I make you a father of many nations. Same word make. So the son has got the capacity to represent fully all the functionality of fathering. Right? In fact, when Paul used this word, Paul writing Romans comments on when God called Abram as a father in Genesis. And Paul says this. I got it in your notes somewhere there. Paul says... I think it's in the next. In Romans 4.17 at the bottom. Genesis 17, God said, No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have what? Everyone say, made you a father. Come on, work. say, made you a father. Please, brethren, your spirits need to come alive. Say, made you a father. So, you are made a father. God says, I made David my firstborn. What, when, when he says, I make you, he's saying, I set you specifically, strategically. I constitute you as a son who has got in him the capacity for fathering or to represent the father in his world. But when Paul wrote Romans 4 and he comments on Genesis 17, right? He, see, he uses a Greek word called titami. Everyone say titami. 
when, when the Lord says, He says, of Abraham, He says, of whom I have made you a father of many nations. And this word means to set as a foundation. So tell your neighbor you are foundational. To set something down as a foundation. What do we build on foundations? Superstructures. What's the most important part of any building? So what is, what is fundamentally foundational to all of God's purposes that He will build in the earth? Firstborn son. Anyone say firstborn son? God says, I make you, I set you as a foundation. And He uses the same word for making a father. So in firstborn sonship is the capacity to father. And God says, whenever I see firstborn and father, I can come to that context and build my purposes. I can come to that that, 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 that church. I can come to those people and build my purposes in the earth. We are foundational. And lastly on page 6. It must be a mentality. Revelation 14 one says... I looked, and the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name, and the name of his Father. Now, his name there is the name of the Lamb, and we know from our second session in the primacy of the Word of the Lord, the name of the Lamb is what? Revelation 19, 3, I think, the name of the Lamb is the Word of? The name of the Lamb is the? Revelation 19, 13. Repeat after me, the name of the Lamb is the word of God. God. Say it, Revelation 19.13. Please get this and just say it again. The name of the Lamb is the word of God. Now read verse Revelation 14.1 again. It says, I looked and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having his name, which is what? Tell me. Say word of God. Name of the Lamb is the word of God. And what? The name of? His father, which is father, right? It's written on there, for it indicates thinking. It indicates mentality, the mind. What God wants to scar your mind with tonight. He wants to engrave the nature of father on your life. I, I, I want to repeat this so often, you're going to get tired of me. I want to repeat it so often, when, you, when you're lying on your bed, you're thinking of your heavenly father. The only way your firstborn sonship is going to rise to new heights is when you constantly, like David, cry, You are my father. The father says, I make you my firstborn. Make nothing. I set you as a foundation upon which I will build all of my purposes. I don't know about you. I want to be that kind of son in the earth. I want to say I want to never lose my sense of intimacy and relationship with him. And, and, And God must say, Randolph, I know firstborn sonship is a reality in my word, but now you're walking in it. You're starting to manifest its qualities. I will make you, I'll set you so solidly in this thing as a bedrock substructure upon which I will build the superstructure of my purposes. Right? The name of our God. Right? Now, I like this. The name of the Lamb. Oh, by the way, the 144,000 is not 144,000 people. It's a symbolic number representing an apostolic community. Right? 144,000, a multiple of 12. 
So 12 is, a, is an apostolic number. So the number 144,000 represents, uh, if you're standing with the Lamb, everyone say we stand with the Lamb. Remember the song, Jam with the Lamb? <laughs> it's a funny song in any case. You stand with the Lamb. In other words, you can only stand with Him if you have His nature. So what's the nature all of you should be manifesting? Not lion. Say lamb. Lamb. I send you as lambs. Right? Amongst wolves, Jesus said. So we're innocent, pure. We don't speak. We, we live to die. A lamb lives for the sacrifice to pay for, for others. All of these principles we'll, we'll discuss. And what is on our forehead? The name, word of God, and the name, Father. Tell me, question, how do you get nature of Father into your thinking then? It's by the word of God. And I found the scripture to prove it. Acts 20.32, Paul, in departing from the Ephesian elders, says this to them. I now commend you to God and to the word of His grace that is able to do what? To what? To build you up and to give you what? Say it louder. To give you what? To give you your inheritance. To give you the inheritance amongst all those that are sanctified. You see, we're talking primogeniture. We're talking firstborn that has access to an inheritance. I've said to you, your inheritance is two things so far. An identity, a name better than angels. It is firstborn son. That gives you access to your your father. When you stand with the Lamb, having His name, which is Word of God, and the nature of your Father, you're only going to get the nature of your Father, which is in your inheritance, by the Word of God. So Paul standing, and Paul knows these things by revelation, says to the Ephesian elders, let me paraphrase, how is it? Firstborn sons, you will never see my face again. He says, I'm going and they, they knelt down, they wept because he said, you'll never see my face again after he spent three years with them. So I'm leaving you. But if you as firstborn elders, firstborn sons, want to access this thing called the inheritance of the primogeniture, the inheritance of the firstborn status, I leave you with the word of his grace. Because as he appears, so you will be transformed to see him as he's manifest through his word. There is simply no other way to access your inheritance than through becoming a consolidated mentality in your thinking. And that has got to come by your consistent engagement in the Word which brings grace to you that builds His nature in you. Next time you open your Bible, next time you open your Bible in whatever format you read it in, whether it's on your phone, your iPad, or a book. Tell, you, tell yourself, by this word, I'm accessing my inheritance. By this word, as I read it, the nature of Christ is going to be manifest from the word. As I see, I, I become. And his nature will be solidly impressed within my heart and mind. Let me just read again Matthew's word thought that he shared few weeks ago, which I put in here because it bears relevance to our topic. I was going to give a commentary on John 1.18 because it bears powerfully uh, relevance to the topic at hand. Out of all the disciples, John had the most intimate relationship with Jesus. Everyone say intimacy. This was shown in how he constantly rested on his head upon Jesus' bosom. 
we through Christ find ourselves in this kind of intimate position with the Father. We reach this place by walking in our identity as firstborn sons. John 1.18 No one has seen the Father at any time. The only begotten, which is the firstborn, is in the bosom of the Father. Bosom indicates a place of great intimacy and endearment. He has declared Him. We are in Christ. He is in us. He, as the firstborn Son, is in the bosom of the Father. Therefore, we are to walk in our identity as firstborn sons. We come into the position of being in the bosom of the Father, a place of great, greater intimacy. Maturity in our identity as firstborn sons will be equated to a growth in intimacy with our Father. Amen. Will you bow your heads? Father, we cry to you. You are our Father. This is the cry of our hearts. You are our Father. And we hear you say to us, Today I have begotten you. You are my firstborn. I will make you, will set you, constitute you, place you in the earth as a firstborn reality. In the same constitution as the Father. So you can represent me as Father in your world. We receive this. Would you lift your hands to the Lord? Father, we receive this by revelation even now. We love you with all of our hearts, our soul, our mind and strength. We want your name thoroughly engraved upon our thinking, Father. The lifting up of our hands tonight, Father, testifies to a cry, a groan, like, like Israel did. We want to be set free from anything that limits. Years of slavery have, have pulverized most of our thinking. Limitation and insecurity regarding your purposes. We break those things now in the name of Jesus. We break every kind of limitation in our mind. Every kind of restriction. Every kind of thinking in us that believes we will always be less than the next person. Any kind of thinking within us that believes we will never amount to much. My life will never amount to much more than what it is. We break that in the name of Jesus. This is not part of my constitution as your son. Today we lift up our hands and we cry, You are my Father. And we hear you say prophetically, I will make you my firstborn son. And I will set you as the highest of kings over all the earth. Father, we thank you for this. This will be our perpetual cry. I pray the prayer of, that Paul prayed in Colossians, Father, when he said, Thanks be to God who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance with the saints in light. Thank you. We declare like David, indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. The space of my inheritance is wonderful to me. I have a goodly inheritance. The lines fall to me in pleasant places. I am not the victim of circumstances. I declare no more. The lines from this time forth will fall to me in pleasant places. And I have a goodly inherit inheritance. My heritage is indeed, once again, Father, beautiful to me. I pray your blessing 
upon every son. I pray peace as we sleep tonight in the knowledge we are firstborn sons of God. There's nothing you will withhold. You who gave your only son. How much more will you with him? Everyone say with him. How much more will you with him freely give us all things that pertain to life and godliness? In Jesus' name, amen and amen.